if any of you sons of bitches got anything else to say, now's the fucking time! What's going on, friends? How's everybody doing? Happy Tuesday. It's still raining out. Although, you know what day it wasn't raining? Sunday. Sunday, it was not raining. Sunday, it was actually sunny out. And guess what I did not do? I did not go ride dirt bikes. God. So stupid. So stupid. Should have went riding. Didn't happen. Oh, well. What are you going to do? There'll be more nice days. I mean, we're only at the beginning of winter, right? I'm sure there'll be plenty more sunny days for us to enjoy. (laughs) Yeah, probably not. I really do wish that this soundboard had a boo button on it, but it doesn't. That's okay, though. Still had a great weekend. Uh, You know, I think I'm making another change to my show format. Uh, Initially, I was all about just banging out episodes, one after another after another, every single day, even on weekends sometimes. I don't think I want to do that going forward. Uh, I do believe in repetition and getting a whole bunch of reps, a whole bunch of reps, and practice, 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 practice. But I don't want the content to suffer. So I don't think I'm going to be doing episodes every single day going forward. I'm definitely going to do maybe two to three a week. And by week, I mean a full seven days, because if I have something I feel like talking about on a Saturday or a Sunday, then I'm going to do it. But five days a week, Monday through Friday, I feel like it's it's hard for me to come up with content that I enjoy talking about all the time. And I'd rather spend a little bit more time, you know, doing research and trying to put out at least a quality product. Um, So if you're looking for this show, either on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, or Amazon, you're probably not going to see it every single day going forward. Maybe every other day, every couple days, maybe only once a week. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. You know, uh, like a lot of people like to joke about, the last thing we need in this world is another podcast. (laughs) Well, whatever. Uh, Maybe the last thing that we need is another podcast that's, you know, five, six, seven days a week. And uh, I honestly, I find that the podcasts I listen to most are about two days a week when episodes get released. And I find myself anticipating them more. I'm more excited for, for, you know, the interviews that they do. And uh, why am I trying to reinvent the wheel here? You know, I'm, I'm not doing, I, I think if this was a news podcast, that's one thing, you know, news needs to be daily. And, uh, and I do listen to one podcast uh, in, in particular that, that is an everyday podcast that does a good job of providing me with my news. But 
all the other ones I listen to, I mean, they're just for my learning enjoyment, uh, my listening enjoyment. And, you know, they're only two, maybe three days a week tops. Uh, obviously staggered out. Um, but uh, so why, why try to reinvent the wheel here? You know, I am not above, I am not above copying a format that is already successful. You know, I don't think that there's any shame in that. There's nothing wrong with doing that. If someone has found a method that works, do it, take it. I mean, if it was a sport and someone is doing a technique that works, do it. See if it works for you. So if you are looking forward to this podcast five days a week, I apologize. You're welcome to go back and listen to older episodes. <laughs> I'm starting to build up a few now in my little library. Um, but let's try to let's try to focus on quality, not necessarily quantity. I can still get my reps. Oddly enough, this may sound weird. Sometimes I just sit down and I'll just start talking into the mic, you know? Not like an official episode. I just do it for practice. Because it really is weird to just sit in front of a microphone and, you know, I have just a blank wall in front of me. Like, I have my laptop here. But uh, to just sit and talk and talk and talk and talk, uh, it's a skill that I really did not appreciate. Okay? Like, these guys that get paid, and gals that get paid a lot of money, um, have a lot of sponsors. Um, that they sit, you know, multiple days a week and they talk, not just like I'm doing, you know, at most a 50 minute show. Some of these people are doing two to three hour shows. And that to me doesn't even seem doable <laughs> at my little fledgling stage of this whole podcast journey. I, I couldn't imagine sitting here and trying to talk for two to three hours. Uh, after after one hour, I'm exhausted. It really is exhausting. It's a ton of fun, but it's hard. You know, I, I if this is something that you've been wanting to do, uh, first of all, my thing is do it. You know, just try it. But I I'm curious. You know, and I think you'll find the same thing. It's especially like for me, I'm not a, a big talker in general. You know, I've always been, you know, I'm, I'm pretty quiet. You know, when I'm comfortable around my friends, I have no problem, you know, conversating or anything like that. But to just sit and cold talk, you know, like it's hard and it takes a lot of mental energy <laughs> to sit and just do this and try to, you know, not have a bunch of dead air. And, you know, I'm really trying not to be like, um, you know, saying, um, all the time, like, that shit's hard. It's a lot. It's a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. Totally worth it. Super satisfying. Uh, I I'm having a lot of fun doing it. But I think I really underestimated <clears throat> uh, the amount of not only prep work I think that goes into it. Because uh, obviously, you know, the more prepared you are, the less stupid you sound. But uh, I I didn't realize how hard it was going to be to just have to sit and just talk continuously you know uh on the the i use spotify's podcast 
creator just you know on my laptop and there's a a clock that is counting and so i have i can only talk for 30 minutes at a time and then i have to stop and then start another basically another separate 30 minute segment so every once in a while you know you might hear what seems like a weird pause and that's me trying to figure out within a 30 minute time frame where i'm going to put my break at so that i can end one 30 minute block and then start a second 30 minute block and i hopefully pick up at the exact same spot that i left off and if you listen closely i don't think i've pulled it off a couple of times i can hear them um hopefully you cannot hear them <laughs> but whatever we are all learning as we go I am learning something every single day, even at my age. Not a day goes by that I don't learn something. And I mean, lately it has to do with basically creating, writing, producing, uh, starring in this show. So it's it's been a lot of fun. I, I think if you, I think everyone should try it at least a couple times. Make a podcast. You know, go to Spotify's thing. Just make a show. Just sit down, start talking. I mean, you can literally just talk right into your phone. Like they have an app for it. You can just talk into your phone. Make a show. It's a ton of fun. You you might actually enjoy it. You never know. Um, I mean, all this kind of leads into what I wanted to talk about today. Uh, last night I watched this documentary. It's on Netflix, and it's called Untold Hall of Shame. And it came out last year, so, okay. And I feel like anyone who follows any kind of sports whatsoever has heard about the Balco steroid scandal that, uh, that took place that involved, you know, a whole bunch of baseball players, most notably Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, allegedly, and Barry Bonds, allegedly. Um, there were some other people, uh, some track and field athletes, um, Marion Jones, Tim Montgomery, and it was, you know, I knew the story. I, you know, I had heard of all that, you know, because I was from a collegiate athlete standpoint, you know, I knew who Tim Montgomery was when I was in college because he was, you know, he was one of the faster guys in the country. And he was a year older than me. And, you know, he was one of those guys that people like me were constantly chasing those times that he was running. And, you know, I never raced him, you know, ever at any meet. Um, he was at a whole nother level than I was when he wasn't juicing. Um, but the, the documentary really went into detail uh, about the Balco the Balco lab that was down in San Francisco. And it, uh, they, they literally called. So when Tim Montgomery ended up getting involved with Victor Conti, uh, their plan was, we want to break the world record. Tim Montgomery said, I want to break the world record. And he had made the decision at that point, he was going to do whatever it took to break the world record, which is why he went to Balco in the first place. Okay. I mean, you don't go to somewhere like Balco if you're not willing to do whatever it takes. 
And to Tim Montgomery's credit, he was very open and honest about that in this documentary. You know, he's not sugarcoating it. And he literally says in the documentary that he essentially sold his soul to the devil so that he could break the world record. All right. So look, I, I'm not sitting here going to, I'm not going to pass judgment. Uh, I, I understand why people do performance enhancing drugs. Uh, it makes sense to me. Um, it's not something that I've ever done. I've had opportunities to, I've had it offered to me many times, mainly when I was in college, uh, a little bit when I was in high school, actually, you know, when I was, uh, my, my senior year it, there, I knew, I knew a bodybuilder and a power builder, and I'm not going to say who they are. Um, but those opportunities were there if I wanted them and they weren't for me. You know, I, I was, I feel like I dreamed about, you know, I was like any young kid, you know, like I, my dream was to play in the NFL or to be an Olympic champion in track, you know, like those are the things that I dreamed about, you know, I fantasize about that stuff. And I think all kids do, you know, and as we get older and I think we get a more realistic view about what our athletic talents are, uh, People like me get weeded out, <laughs> for lack of a better term. You know, we get weeded out from those who have legitimate chances of being a professional athlete. Okay. And when I say professional athlete, like, I mean people who are getting paid to do their sport. All right. Not a pay to play. They're getting paid to do it. Those are, those are the pro athletes. Okay. And in this country, you know, we got, the big four, you know, our football, our basketball, our baseball, our hockey. Now there's, you know, UFC, we got golf. Um, and there's a lot of other sports where there are pros. And I do feel like uh, some of those sports, are, I think, are tough. Yes, they are professionals at what they do, but they're also one, if they don't win, they're not getting money because they're playing for money. Um, they're not getting paid to compete. Uh, and, you know, they're like, I think one thing that's frustrating, like with uh, when I look at motorcycle racing, a lot of these young kids are having to bring their own sponsorship money just to get rides. Like they're essentially paying for the rides that then hopefully get them noticed enough that they can get better rides. So they're always kind of, they're always parlaying one ride for another and they're trying to just move up the food chain. And, <clears throat> you know, if a kid is ridiculously talented, he just might not have the sponsorship funds to get a quality motorcycle under him that he can win races on. And at that point, you know, it's no longer about their talent. Uh, it's just about, you know, how much of your own private money can you drum up? So, yeah, like they're professionals, but not in the sense that someone in the NFL or the NBA or in pro baseball is a professional. And that's the distinction here that that I'm making. And even track and field is maybe a little along those lines. Like if you're not sponsored by 
you know, the Nikes, the Adidas, the Asics, the Brooks, um, you're, you're footing the bill for everything. And you may win prize money at races, uh, but, you know, you better hope that that's enough money that's going to allow you to not need a job the rest of the year so you can focus solely on your training and your nutrition. Okay. And your rehab, you know, all the stuff that you got to do to take care of your body. Like none of that stuff is cheap and none of that stuff is free. So, you know, unless you have a massage therapist or a physical therapist in your family that's willing to do pro bono work, that's all coming out of your pocket where, you know, these guys and gals who are running and or throwing, you know, like for Nike, that kind of stuff is taken care of for them. You know, especially if you're a regular at the world championships and you're a contender for the Olympics and you're making the Olympic teams, you know, you're not, you're not really having to worry about anything at that point. Um, back to this documentary though, it was, it was fascinating for me to hear Tim Montgomery one, be so open and honest about what he did while he was there. But really, his only, what appeared to be his only motivation, he just wanted to feel what it was like to be a world record holder. He wanted, he wanted that feeling of knowing that in, you know, whatever that moment was, if and when it came, that he were to break the 100-meter world record, he wanted that feeling of knowing he was the fastest man on earth, okay? And he was willing to do whatever it took, <laughs> whatever it took to get there. And in his, in his case, whatever it took was performance-enhancing drugs. And, you know, I know the documentary's been out now for a year, and, you know, I think, I feel like at this point we all know the story of Balco and, you know, the 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 IRS and the FBI got involved and Victor Connie went to federal prison for six months. And, you know, Tim Montgomery, he did end up breaking the world record. He ended up running a 9.78 in 2002, which at that time, that was the fastest time ever. Okay. Now keep in mind, I think it was the, was it the, the 92 games that Ben Johnson out of Canada, he broke the world record, but he was juicing big time. and if I remember correctly, Ben Johnson's coach, uh, he coached Tim Montgomery. <laughs> so, you know, I feel like like the coach probably knew what he was doing, but he also knew how to get someone over the hump. Wink, wink, if you know what I'm saying. Okay. But it just kind of got me thinking overall, like how far is all of our individual lines that we are willing to draw in the sand. And I don't think it's just from a sporting standpoint. I mean, I think this can be, I think it can be anything that we do in life. You know, how, how obsessed are we willing to be to become good at something? And I feel like we've all had a time in our life when we have been completely enamored with an activity, whether it's golf, whether it's motorcycles, 
Maybe it's gambling. Maybe it's playing chess. Maybe it's woodworking, you know? It could literally be anything. How much of ourselves, how much of our sanity are we willing to give to any activity to even just be good at it? I'm not talking about being great. Maybe even just being competent at it. You know, the level between someone who's a good golfer and a great golfer is astronomical. Like, I know a lot of good golfers. I really do. Like, I know a lot of good golfers. Guys that are good. They're consistent. They hit the ball straight. Their iron games are good. They're good. They're good golfers. They are nowhere near great. They are so far away from the PGA Tour, it's laughable. Like that step to go from good to great, it's almost, we're all, I, I feel like I'm almost unable to wrap my head around it. You know, what it takes to get to that level. And I think what, you know, what someone like Tim Montgomery faced was that he was a great sprinter. But to go from being a great sprinter to the best ever, man, that's almost as big a jump. Almost. Someone at his level can see it, you know, like they're close. He was running sub 10 in the 100 meters over and over and over, you know, 999, 991, 995s. You know, he's consistently sub 10 seconds in the 100 meter. But to drop from a 9.9 a nine nine to a 9.78, that right there, the steroids is the difference in being just another professional sprinter. And don't get me wrong, he was an amazing sprinter, but the difference between what he was doing and being the best ever was massive. And he just physically couldn't get there on his own, you know? And he made the decision, like a lot of athletes did. Marion Jones made that same decision. She went to prison. She went to prison for perjury. However, like, we're not stupid, okay? Everybody knows she was juicing. She failed drug tests. And then lied about it, and that's what did her in. But she made that, she sold her soul to the devil as well. Ben Johnson sold his soul. Their line in the sand that they drew was so far out there <laughs> that essentially anything that they did, they were going to be okay with. I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't hate them for it, you know? Because, like, when I look back at my own athletic journey, physical fitness journey, the, the hobbies that I've had, I have been willing to break my body to try to become as good as I can be, you know? 
against all the advice, you know, that and criticism that I would get from my friends, uh, especially when I very first started racing motorcycles. And you know, by no means am I some you know great motorcycle racer. You know, I was I was a good club racer who happened to do a few AMA pro races at one point. You know, I was good. Here's how I put it. I was always good enough that no matter where I raced, anywhere that I raced, I could always fight in the top 10 and I could always defend myself against better, faster racers. Okay. So I was better than a whole lot of people, but there were still a lot of people who were much better, much more talented than I was. I got into motorcycles in general very late in my life. And uh, it's the learning curve was definitely a little steeper for someone who gets a late start. Okay, let's let's put it that way. So when I look back, I became completely obsessed with racing to the point that I was spending all my money on it. I would pay my bills. You know, I made sure that I had food in my fridge and my mortgage was paid. And then essentially everything else revolved around racing. Like I was so broke <laughs> for making as good a money as I made. It was hilarious. But I was willing to sacrifice a social life. I was willing to sacrifice vacations. I was willing to sacrifice friendships. I was willing to sacrifice my own physical health so that I could get as good as I thought that I could be. And I had no idea what my potential was, but I wanted to find out. And unfortunately, in motorcycle racing, you know, when you push the envelope, you're going to crash. It's just a matter of time. And I have crashed a lot of times. All right. I crashed a lot. I've been hurt pretty bad. Uh, you know, I've broken an ankle. I messed up my neck at one point, And it was just dumb luck that I didn't break it. It was literally just luck that kept me from not being paralyzed right now. Uh, I broke a bone in my knee. Uh, lacerated kidneys. I was pissing blood. Like, bumps and bruises. Like, all oh, I broke my hand. It just all kinds of stuff happen. I've had friends. I've had friends that have been killed. You know, I've had friends that have gruesome broken bone injuries to their legs, uh, head trauma, um, like you name it. You know, in the 14 years that I raced, I I saw it all. You know, and it was something that was so dumb to do, probably. But when you're obsessed with something, you're willing to sacrifice your own life for it almost, you know? Like I was with, I, I think it was one of the things that cost me a relationship at one point because <laughs> I was more dedicated to the track than I was to the relationship. And it didn't even bother me at the time. I was like, okay, well, whatever. You know, this is what I do, which probably goes back to some other issues that I was having, but I was so fixated 
on trying to become what I perceived in my mind as great that I didn't even care. You know, it did just, it didn't bother me in that moment in time. It just didn't bother me. And it's like, I feel like I'm seeing more and more of that, or maybe I'm, it's always been there and I'm just recognizing more and more of it. I don't know. You know, I look at, obviously to get to the level of being a professional athlete, like just think what it takes to get to the, just think what it takes to get to division one football in general, like big time power five conference division one football. It's insane. You have, I mean, you can't simply be talented anymore. Everybody's talented at that level. Even the walk-ons are talented. Even those walk-ons are unbelievable anymore. But you look who they're going up against. You know, guys like you know Caleb Williams and yeah, I honestly I don't know really a lot of college football players. I don't really watch a lot of college football anymore. But uh, to get to that level takes an ungodly amount of sacrifice from an extremely young age. And is it worth it? To them, I feel like they would say, hell yeah, 100%, it's worth it. The head injuries are worth it. The failed relationships are worth it. The, The long travel nights are worth it. Countless hours in the weight room are worth it. Doing rehab was worth it. You know, these guys are always hurt. And anymore, they may get recruited by a school, go to the school, and then they find out, well, now everyone here is talented. So now they're sacrificing a potential great situation by entering the transfer portal. So now these, now these kids are just bouncing around all over the place, trying to find that sweet spot where they can get the most playing time. So now they're sacrificing more relationships. Now they're sacrificing potentially more playing time in a system that they've already put one year into. But they're doing whatever it takes to try to get to that next level, which is the NFL, the obsession, the dream, the fantasy, what we all had as young boys who played football. Except 99.99999% of us had zero shot of ever making it to the NFL. So it's interesting to me. It's interesting that people will sacrifice their entire lives for something that may or may not happen. And I just hope that it brings them happiness, you know? I feel like at least as we get older and we are in a position to take care of ourselves, you know, like we got steady jobs and, you know, families and support systems and you know all that shit it's like okay i can become obsessed with a hobby but it's not my sole purpose it's not i'm not putting all my eggs in one basket you know like my now i have multiple baskets and you know my life is very diversified and 
you know, at the end of the day, maybe I still understand that this is a hobby and it's not the end of the world. If, you know, I maybe don't get as high into this hobby as I thought that I was capable of getting or reaching the heights I thought I was capable of reaching. Um, but it doesn't change the level of sacrifice, I, I feel like. You know, like I still sacrificed. I still beat the shit out of my body over 14 years. I beat the shit out of my checking account. I know that. Maybe I beat the shit out of my sanity too. I'm curious who out there has a similar story to where, and regardless, it could be a job that you sacrifice for. It could be a hobby that you sacrifice for. Maybe it was a relationship that you sacrificed for that, man, I just really wanted this relationship to work. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. At Jake Brown Pod on Twitter and Instagram, the DMs are always open. On Twitter, I actually post all of my episodes. So you're welcome to leave a comment under the appropriate episode. But I'm curious, like, what have you guys sacrificed? I know a lot of my friends have sacrificed a lot and have worked very hard. I feel like I feel like I have a lot of very successful friends. And I think that, you know, and I heard someone say, I don't know, sometime a long time ago, and I've heard it a few times over the years that uh successful people tend to hang out with successful people, you know, like kind of like the sum of your friend groups is kind of how successful, you know, you ultimately are, you know, I don't like, maybe I'm not explaining that very well. Like someone who's ridiculously successful isn't hanging out with losers doing stupid shit every day. You know what I mean? That's, I, I can't think of a scenario where that happens, you know? I feel like I don't hang out with losers. I hang out with quality, grounded, successful, positive people. We may be a little jaded. We may be a little fucked up in the head from time to time. But by and large, the people that are in whatever, and I feel like I have a, you know, a, a couple of different circles of friends, what we all have in common is that essentially we are all pretty damn successful. And success doesn't necessarily mean, you know, we're rich or anything like that, but we're all fairly happy. We're all fairly stable, <laughs> contributing to society, adults. Uh, you know, I feel like common sense runs, runs rampant through my friend groups. Okay? But that doesn't mean that they haven't also sacrificed at some point in their life and become obsessed with a, an activity, become obsessed with a goal. I think that's okay. I think it's a good thing to be obsessed with something like that. As long as you can keep it in perspective and, uh, and not let it you know, turn you into a crazy person, like what Howard Hughes, who what he lock himself in his fucking mansion for seven years 
and was pissing in jars. Like, let's not get that obsessed. I think that's an unhealthy obsession. That's a little too far, you know? He drew his line in the sand and fucking sprinted past it for about seven years. Too much, all right? But I think it's okay to set a goal like, hey, I want to X, Y, Z. And I'm willing to sacrifice X, Y, Z to make those goals happen. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. As long as you're still taking care of your business as an adult, you know, as long as you're still, depending on your situation, you know, providing for your family, you know, being a good partner in your relationship. Uh, you know, you're still doing your doing your work at your nine to five. If that's if that's the case, if, if you know, if you're handling your business outside of that hobby, then by all means, go be obsessed with that hobby. Go bust your ass. Go work as hard as you can fucking work, and become the best at that activity that you can be. And maybe that hobby is your job. You know, maybe. Maybe the goals you set are just work-related goals because you want to rise as high as you can in your company. Awesome. Do it. I find myself right now, like, I'm, I think I'm coming up on a year of boxing. That'll be a year in February. Um, I have become obsessed with boxing. I've become obsessed with two things. I've become obsessed with boxing and and becoming a better dirt bike, like an enduro rider, all right? And I find myself, I am constantly watching videos and trying to get as much practice in and absorb as much information as I possibly can because I want to get as good as I possibly can at both of those activities. And I have room in my life to focus on both of those activities. Mainly the boxing right now, since I do that, you know, every night. And I'm surrounded by like-minded men and women right now who feel the exact same way. I go to boxing practice at night, and it's a bunch of guys and gals that, to me, feel just as obsessed. Like, we can't wait to get there. Every day, I'm just, I know, like tonight, I know it's circuit training night, and I'm excited for it, and it's going to hurt, and I know I got to jump and do the toe taps on that stupid-ass tire, and I hate doing those, because I just don't, I don't bounce like I used to, (laughs) okay? My legs just don't quite work like they used to, but I'm still excited to go. I'm still excited to go. I can't wait to get there. And I get that same feeling from everyone else. We are all so excited to just start working and practicing our skills, hitting the heavy bag, working our combinations, doing mitt work, doing footwork drills. Everyone there is so fucking geeked out to do that. It's infectious. It is so infectious. Like, I hope that everyone out there has some sort of obsession like that that they look forward to 
on a daily basis. If you don't, uh, man, like I, there's part of me that feels sorry for you. There really is. There's part of me that feels sorry that you don't feel the way that I feel. And I got two things I feel that way about. I have two activities that I get to just drool over on a daily basis that I get to consume my mind with on a daily basis. Two things. I'm not giving them up either. I'm not sharing them with anybody. Those are my little obsessions. Those are for me. You got to find your own. You can do the same ones as me, but the ones that I, these are mine. These ones are mine. And I fucking love them. And when I come across people who share the same healthy obsession for, for whatever their hobby is, oh, fucking hell. I get so happy. It makes me so happy that there are people out there that, that get it, you know? It's like, I feel like all the years that, you know, like I was racing and I was just punishing my body and spending all this money and blah, blah, blah. You know, a lot of the people would be like, God, like, you know, why do you do that? Like, that's, you know, what if you hurt yourself? It was always the what ifs. Always the what ifs. What if people are the worst? What a bunch of Debbie Downers. What a bunch of Debbie Downers the what if crowd is. The fucking peanut gallery. Like the two old guys in the Muppets who just sat up in the balcony talking shit. Those were the kinds of people who drove me nuts. Those were the kinds of people that I just refused to have any sort of like deep, meaningful conversation about why I do what I do. I just, I didn't care to. I didn't have the energy to. If you don't have some sort of obsession of your own, then you're never going to understand why I have my obsessions. You're never going to understand why I push myself the way that I push myself. You'll never get it. And I, you know, I, okay, some people might say, well, maybe it's your job to help them understand. No, fuck that. It's not my job to help people, okay, find out why they should be stimulated in their brain in ways other than the fucking TV. All right? Shut the TV off. Find an activity. Become obsessed. Become as great as you are capable of becoming. That's my goal. That's why I go to boxing practice four to five days a week. It's why I go ride dirt bikes for 50 miles at a time as fast as I'm capable of going. Because I know when I get in those scrambles and in those enduros and it counts, I'm going to be better and better and better and better each time I go out there. And on the flip side, I know it is literally going to take blood, sweat, and tears. And I have crashed on my dirt bike. I have hit trees. I have hit rocks. I have hit stumps. 
uh, I did the Desert 100 last year. I made it through the first 70 miles, and I had this wild crash, which partially my fault. I was following someone a little too close, and they crashed, and then I hit their bike and uh, basically hyperextended my knee over my my bars. And I wasn't too smart. I think I was a little arrogant at the time, and I wasn't wearing knee pads because I was like, oh, I'll be fine. Well, I thought that I broke my kneecap and broke part of my broke part of my leg, honestly. So I had to ride the last fucking 30 miles with what felt like a broken leg that I couldn't put any weight on. So I was I'd sit for most of that 30 miles or stand on one leg. It was awful. But you know what else it was? A hundred percent worth it. Because I still had a fucking blast. And I can't wait to go back to the D-Hundo again. I cannot wait. I'm so excited for next year's Desert 100. I can't fucking wait. And I will have knee pads on. That way, if the same thing happens again, I will be fine. But I know that, for one, I'm a much better rider than I was last time I rode that race. So I'll be able to keep myself out of some situations that maybe I just was too dumb or naive last time. Isn't it amazing how many different levels there are to really any activity that we do? Whether it's sports, it could be knitting. (laughs) Maybe you like to write poetry. Boxing. Maybe you're a mechanic as a hobby, like on your free time. You just love to tinker with engines. There are so many levels to any of this stuff that we do. It just, sometimes it just blows my mind. It blows my mind to think that even guys, and I'm going to throw out a real famous enduro writer named Graham Jarvis, as good a writer as Graham Jarvis is, And some people say that he is the goat of Enduros. He's the best, one of the best ever to ride an Enduro bike. As good as he is, even that guy can get better. Even Michael Jordan worked relentlessly to get better. I mean, if those guys are going to keep working, well, I got to keep working because <laughs> those are the kinds of guys that I'm trying to emulate. Even at 47, in my brain, I still feel like I can be great. So fuck it. Why not try to be great? Why not? What, like, what do you have to lose? You really, you have nothing to lose because when you start at ground zero, you suck anyway. <laughs> so like, you're not going to suck more by practicing. You're really not. So I think for any of us, we all need to draw that line in the sand somewhere about how much we're willing to sacrifice, how far we are willing to push our our bodies, how far we're willing to push our minds. 
yes, we need to draw a line in the sand somewhere. But I think we all need to decide where that line is. And that line might move at some point. You know, for Tim Montgomery, he moved that line. I'm not willing to move the line too much further from where it is now. Not that far out to where I would start using performance-enhancing drugs. But maybe I am going to start to get a little more willing to take bigger risks on my dirt bike. Maybe at some point I'm going to be willing to move that line and get in the ring for an actual sanctioned fight as opposed to just sparring. Right now, I'm not willing to do that. But at some point down the road, eh, who knows? I might be. All right. That's my show for today. I appreciate everyone who subscribes, everyone who downloads, everyone who listens. Everyone who leaves comments, constructive criticism, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate it. I know it's raining, but eh, try to get outside. Find something to do. Get some fresh air. All right, peace out, people. Make it a great day.